0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, the podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name is Reese and uh, I'll be taking this episode solo this week because Tech Mondo has stuff going on in his life, which I'm not going to tell you about. He can tell you about it all he wants. I don't know if he wants to share the surprise or anything. It's, it's pretty cool. I'm super happy for him, uh, but he is busy this week, so I will be taking the reins on this a bit of a shorter episode, kind of a Christmas special extravaganza. I thought of a different bunch of different routes on how to take this episode, and I wasn't sure which one I wanted to do. I initially uh, thought about making it just like a straight up, you know, 12 days of Christmas sort of Fountain City sports media thing, but that was too hard and far too overdone. I later thought about making it a conspiracy theory podcast due to the officiating of Carl Sheffers and the fact that I am broadcasting by myself in my mom's basement uh, but I decided that was also probably hit a little too close to home in more more than one way. So ultimately, it's just going to be kind of a mashup of things. Going to recap the Texans game last week. Going to talk about Carl Sheffers a little bit. Going to preview the Seattle Seahawks game tomorrow, this Saturday. And also just wish everyone a happy, happy holidays. So without further ado, let's talk about Chiefs-Texans last week. Uh, because it was a very contentious and cantankerous game for Chiefs fans. Uh, they They came out playing sloppy. Again, playing undisciplined football. We saw some of the things that have been popping up throughout the season that are giving us reasons to have heart attacks. Um, ultimately, they defeated the Houston Texans 30-24 in overtime in a game that had no business being that close. So here's where I kind of want to pull out a bit of the tinfoil hat here. I will admit the Kansas City Chiefs could have played better. That's just a fact. But Patrick Mahomes was 36-41. for 41. 336 yards, 2 touchdowns, 1 rushing touchdown, and completed his final 20 passes in a row. At that point, there's nothing more the man can do. There's really nothing more the offense can do at that point. Okay, they put up 30, they should have put up 45, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. But And we got a solid return in the running game as well. Isaiah Pacheco, 15 carries, 86 yards for a 5.7 average. And Jared McKinnon, 10 carries, 52 yards for a 5.2 average, including adding in Eight receptions for 70 yards in the passing game. Jarek McKinnon has that dog in him. Jarek McKinnon, I am so happy we brought him back this year for this very reason. Playing that triple option offense in college, he has a knack for waiting for lanes to open, finding the cut to make, hitting the hole, and putting the game completely out of reach. Uh, (laughs) Not going to lie, the defense needs some work. It was pretty rough, pretty rough throughout. Uh, it is another case of we allowed two turnovers, one that was a Pacheco just straight up fumble, the other a controversial Juju Smith-Schuster fumble that we'll talk more about later. Uh, but this is now the defense has allowed five touchdowns, or uh, excuse me, four touchdowns on its past five turnovers, and that's against the terrible offenses of Denver and Houston, the two worst offenses in the league. It's also important to note the one time there was not a touchdown off of a turnover. That's because second string Broncos quarterback Brett Ripon threw an interception as he's being hit. So, all things considered, had he held on to the ball and had they maintained possession, I have no doubt in my mind they would have secured that five for five touchdown. Uh, <laughs> it was not pretty, ladies and gentlemen. I, I kept waiting for the, the Chiefs to kick it on at some point throughout this game. like, this is fine. It's going to happen. They're going to kick it on. You know, they'll pull away in the second half. They just need to, like, get their heads out of their butts and start playing. It didn't feel as shooting themselves in the foot every play as it did against Indianapolis, but there's just something in the water with these AFC South teams. I don't know what it is. They're scrappy. Well, that's one word for the Houston Texans, Uh, but they're scrappy. You know, they're opportunistic. They kind of drag you down and make you play to their level. And that's sort of what happened today. That's something else I want to get into. Uh, is talking about the uh, <laughs> I don't know what you call it imbalanced or uncanny or just straight up unfair nature of the game. Uh, I I want to pull out some statistics here for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you've you've heard me on this podcast multiple times. You know bemoan officiating in the NFL, particularly of one Carl Sheffers, who also officiated a game earlier this year that he was incredibly sketchy on. So here's the thing. I just want to point this out for you. On the Texans offense, for the day, team stats, 219 total yards, 125 passing, 94 rushing, 3.8 yards per play. The Texans player with the most yardage on the day, Davis Mills, starting quarterback, 121 yards. Texans player with the second most offensive yards, Carl Sheffers with 102 yards of penalties. Uh, That is literally double the yardage of the next closest Texans player with yards uh, which would be Royce Freeman at 51 yards. Guys at this point I know that Sheffers calls a lot of penalties on everybody that's kind of his prerogative Uh, but the fact that he was by just under 20 yards the second most yardage gaining player on the Texans in this game really speaks volumes and it's it's kind of funny because so we had Kevin Harlan and Trent Green calling the game. And, you know, Trent Green, for chiefs quarterback. Kevin Harlan, uh, chiefs radio guy back in the 80s before Mitch Holtis. So, you know, they, they can't seem too biased, and they have to seem as impartial as possible. But even in the second half, when the penalty flags were flying, the commentators kept trying to make some sort of sense of things, you know, trying to make it sound like, wow, how are the Texans still in this? You know, because they're like... The Texans have 93 yards of offense in the second half at this point, but they somehow managed to keep pace with the Chiefs. No, that that doesn't happen. That's Legitimately, it's impossible. As as I pointed out earlier in the game, Patrick Mahomes playing the game he had is insane. It's a statistical anomaly. It's like the second highest, I think it's the second most yards uh, completing that percentage of passes in NFL history. You don't just keep up with that by having 93 yards of total offense midway through the second half. What happened this game was more Carl Shefford's isms where every time, every time there's a third down, if the Texans don't get it, phantom flag. If the Texans do get it, there's a flag. We already threw it, but we'll pick it up. Fun fact, there were four picked-up flags in this game. Three were picked up in instances after the Texans scored, which tells me those flags were thrown as insurance if they failed, on the play, and the thing is, like our defense is porous enough right now. Like they, they don't need those flags. They could probably keep pace, continuing those third downs without the flags. It, it's, it's a pain in the butt. For example, like one, we, we had two fumbles. One was in our deep in our own territory. Isaiah Pacheco dropped it. It sucked. They scored a touchdown off that. I'll, I'll give you a, you know, a mulligan for that. That's, that's a short field to work with. But the second one, Juju Smith-Schuster gets picked up, pile, like literally pile driven to the turf. And as he hits the ground, the ball pops out when the play is dead. They've already blown a whistle. However, Carl Sheffers goes over there, and he throws a 15-yard penalty for a crackback block on Jarek McKinnon, who literally does not run into the player, runs horizontally, it looks like, just to stand his ground to get in the way of the guy running to Juju Smith-Schuster. So I did not know you are not allowed to intercept a player, just stand in the way So he has to run around you. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, But they blow a whistle, plays dead. Afterwards, juju ball pops out. Texans recover. Carl Sheffers allows them to review forward progress, which is a rule only put in place because when the Chiefs played the Tennessee Titans back in 2019, uh, Marks Mariota is sacked the minute he is hit fumbles the ball, it's scooped and scored, uh, but there was an inadvertent whistle, and they called forward progress, so they couldn't review it. Sorry, guys, play is dead. But now that's not a case, and they changed the rule for that very reason. So you are allowed to review forward progress in a case of an immediate fumble, such as that Mariota one, which, immediate, he gets hit, ball blows up. Juju Smith-Schuster gets hit, picked up, pile-driven to the ground. Once he's on the ground, then the ball squirts out. That is not an immediate fumble. I mean, go back and look at the replay if you want. It was not an immediate fumble. It was an after-the-play, Juju's all done with the ball because they've already blown the whistle on it because they blew the whistle before he was getting pile-driven. It was play. So not only do they give the ball back over to the Texans, they tack on that 15-yard crack-back block penalty on Jarek McKinnon because why the heck not? I just want to go back and talk a little bit of history on this here. Where there's smoke, there's fire. The Carl Sheffers incident happened after the 2016 playoffs, where he called a very incredibly loose holding call on a two-point conversion play that cost the Chiefs tying the game, and they ultimately lost. Afterwards, a young, more immature Travis Kelsey said, that guy does not deserve to wear a zebra shirt, and he's not qualified to work at a footlocker. Ever since that point, Carl Sheffers has had a vendetta against the Kansas City Chiefs. You can go back and listen to our first Oakland Raiders episode this year if you want to hear the nonsense that went on in that game. But just some fun facts. Uh, These are three recent Carl Sheffers games, not counting the Bengals game last year, Uh, but penalty yardage in Sheffers games. Uh, 99 versus the Raiders this past uh, season. 102 versus the Texans. 120 in the Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And just for some fun facts on that one, in that Super Bowl, Carl Sheffers called eight penalties and ninety-five yards enforced against Kansas City in the first half, which were both records, coincidentally, for a Super Bowl. The first half penalties resulted in six first downs for Tampa Bay, which was also an NFL record. Remember what I said earlier about how many times the Texans' drives were extended just by Sheffers having like a flag at the ready to throw in case a third down play didn't work? That happened multiple times throughout this game. Multiple times. And it's it's a habit. We have evidence of it, and it sucks. Uh, Another fun fact about Carl Sheffers, 22% of the Chiefs' penalties have occurred in 14% of the games this season. The two games that were officiated by Carl Sheffers and his group. I can keep going down this rabbit hole, ladies and gentlemen. I got got plenty plenty of fun here. Here we go. Carl Sheffers has had the Chiefs 12 times since that AFC Divisional loss to Pittsburgh. He's called 97 penalties for 879 yards in the Chiefs, or 8.1 penalties for 73.3 yards per game. Opponents have been called for 81 penalties for 670 yards, which is 6.8 penalties per game for 55.8 yards per game. Here's the thing. In the 95 non carl Sheffers game since that playoff game, the Chiefs have been flagged 6.47 times per game for 57.26 yards, and opponents have been flagged almost identically 6.43 for 50.62 yards. Chiefs opponents in Sheffers games are called for penalties at a rate 5% higher than all others and have 10% more penalty yards. That's the Chiefs opponents. In the median, he calls about 10% more penalties and 10% more penalty yards than other crews. However, the Chiefs are penalized at a rate 25% higher with Carl Sheffers and are called for 28% more penalty yards these are in Carl Sheffers games did I mention the Chiefs were the fourth least penalized team in the league this year going into this game so are you going to tell me that whenever Carl Sheffers is on the field the Chiefs just magically become the most undisciplined team in the NFL no that's just not a thing I'm sorry very last thing I'll say the Chiefs are now one and six against the spread in the past seven games where Carl Sheffers was the referee the chance of that happening is 5.5%. 5.5%. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a statistician. But I can tell you, those are not very good odds. The only two games this season in which the Chiefs have had 10 penalties were the two games Carl Sheffers has officiated. It's not looking too good. (laughs) Not looking too good. I want to talk a little bit more about the Chiefs going forward this season. I said it last episode with Armando, I don't have a whole bunch of faith in the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl this year, primarily because of the defense. I think the defense is still glaring enough uh, for the reason I mentioned about just allowing touchdowns off of all these turnovers that I don't have faith in them to stop better offenses when they're letting the Broncos and the Texans run up and down on them. And as we saw in this game, in the instances where they do occasionally got to stop, there always seems to be some phantom flag thrown. So that's not a good combination because Patrick Mahomes and the offense cannot play much better than they played in this game. It's just, it's just not going to happen unless it's one of those games where, you know, every third completion attempt is a touchdown. But, you know, that's not going to happen against the Bills, not going to happen against Cincy, not going to happen against a lot of teams. Uh, I am still curbing my enthusiasm. I think this is a Chiefs team that can win a Super Bowl this year just because of the offense, but the defense is going to have to somehow kick it into fourth gear straight from second gear, uh, which we all know will probably not be good for the transmission of the team. But I'm uh I'm just not optimistic. I don't think I think our only chance would be if the Bills or the Bengals somehow lost in the playoffs and we had a route that's like first first game we get to play Miami, next game we get to play Baltimore, uh, last match we get, like, Bills, and then we play someone from the NFC. I I don't think the Chiefs have what it takes to go through three straight teams of Bills and Bengals quality. And uh, I think it's almost time that we, we need to talk about this, too. Uh, in other news around the league, are the Bengals quietly the best team in the AFC right now? It's, it's so weird to say out loud just because I don't think they're the best at anything, other than their receiving core, obviously. I've talked about them at nauseam. But it's like they're also not bad at anything in particular. Like if we want to give grades to everybody, it's like I don't think the Bengals are lower than a B-plus at really anything. Offense, you know, probably B-plus to A-minus. Defense, probably a B-to-B-plus defense. But there's no glaring weaknesses. The Chiefs, you know, A-plus offense when it's clicking. Defense, defense. I don't think we've seen the defense click this year, so I'm going to say it's a very C to C minus defense. Same thing with the Bills. I'd say the Bills probably have like an A minus offense and like an A minus defense. But, you know, I think the Bengals very well might be the most complete team in the AFC this year as we saw in their comeback win over the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Now, I know I've been saying on the show that I think Tom Brady is getting to the point that he might be a little washed, you know, he's not the same. He's not the same Broadway Tom or whatever his nickname used to be, but You know, that's something. They were down, I think it was 10-0 against Tampa Bay. They come back and they win that one pretty comfortably. The Bengals don't have any weak sides of the ball. You get up on the Chiefs, Chiefs offense can come back, but I don't think the Chiefs defense can stem hemorrhaging. The Bengals defense showed they can stem hemorrhaging in that game. That's huge. That's really huge. I don't think the Bengals have also blown a game that they've had the lead, which the Chiefs seem to have a knack for letting teams back into once they're up almost like four touchdowns. uh, Bengals don't seem to do that. Bills have done it this year. Bengals haven't. So I feel, you know, weird saying this, and I almost feel dirty saying it, but it's like, dude, it's like, I think this is a better Bengals team than it was last year. I still don't think they're great, but I think they're so good enough at everything that that could be how you win a Super Bowl. You're just so good enough at everything. I think it's possible. Moving on forward, Christmas Eve... The Chiefs will be hosting the Seattle Seahawks at Arrowhead Stadium Christmas Eve at noon. I'm kind of excited for this game. Uh, I think this is probably our biggest litmus test of the year. We still got one more round with the Broncos and the Raiders, but those are divisional games. You know, you you can't really tell anything from divisional games. But the Seahawks will be fighting for their playoff lives at this point. Seven and seven. uh, They are also losers of. Three of their last four, including the Buccaneers, the Raiders, and the Panthers. One win over to the Decrepit Rams. Oh, excuse me. Four of their last five. Lost to the 49ers this past week. I forgot about that. Uh, you know, the the Geno Smith feel-good story, kind of a uh, train's kind of running out of steam. He's still playing pretty well, but he's he's kind of starting to regress back to the mean, all jokes aside. Uh the offense isn't clicking the way it was. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, both having surprisingly mid-years. Nothing's really exciting on that team. Noah Fant still is not balling out. Uh, But, all that said, they're still in the playoff hunt. Geno Smith still wants to prove himself. It's going to be a big game coming into Arrowhead, and this is one of two teams that Patrick Mahomes has not defeated in his career. Kansas City Chiefs, notwithstanding. Hopefully he never beats the Chiefs. But it is the Minnesota Vikings. Because Patrick was injured, and Matt Moore won that Vikings game a few years ago. And the Seattle Seahawks. So, the Chiefs will have a little bit of skin in this one as well. They're still fighting for that number one seed, which they will need the Bengals to beat the Bills in order for that to happen. And the Chiefs will also need to win out. So they're definitely still playing for a lot here. Uh, but, you know, both teams are coming to this game, and it's it's very much a must a must-win situation for both of them. Pete Carroll, still a good coach, still got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. The Seattle defense doesn't spook me out too much, but I feel like the offense, again, is designed to gash a defense like ours, where Geno Smith doesn't do anything spectacular. Geno Smith just gets completions and matriculates the ball. You know, he's a game manager with wheels, which seemed to give us a lot of problems. I'm not super afraid of their rushing attack. Travis Homer seems to be the guy who's uh, going to be getting a lion's share of the carries right now. Uh, otherwise, you know, Geno Smith, one of the leading rushers in the team, so it's like, Put a spy on Gino, keep him contained. But it's the receiving core. Uh primarily, you got the things that scare me the most in this team. You got a big bodied bad boy wide receiver in DK Metcalf, who can go up there and moss any of our guys. He's physical. You got Tyler Lockett, who's a pristine route runner, a veteran, and knows how to gut porous defenses. You also got Will Disley, who's having a quiet year for himself, but pretty good. You know, we have trouble guarding some of these higher quality tight ends. Marquise Goodwin. Also having himself a bit of a year. And just watch this. I say no offense not balling out. No offense gonna have like 10 receptions for like 130 yards. i will be like, oh, is no offense better than Travis Kelsey? Oh. Yeah, I, I foresee that happening, to be honest. I'm not even kidding. So I'm gonna be afraid that this is gonna be a game that we've seen multiple times before where the other team will know they don't they can't keep up with Kansas City if they want to get into a firefight. So what they're going to do is they're going to maximize their possessions while limiting Kansas City's. This could easily be one of those games that Kansas City gets maybe three possessions per half. And I don't like those games because right now we have a turnover problem. Uh, We are turning over the ball the most in the NFL right now, which does not equate to wins normally. I mean, uh, statistically speaking, you look at the teams that are also down there. You have the Colts, you have the Texans. None of those teams are winning games, but the Chiefs somehow have 11 wins. Uh, So I'm going to be afraid this could be, if I throw a prediction out there, I think it's going to be close, and I don't think it's going to be, if we win, I don't think it's going to be wrapped up until the final possession for either team. Either the Chiefs need to go down and score, or it's going to be the defense will need to make a stop against Seattle on a final drive or get an onside kick or some garbage like that. Uh, I'm also not filled with confidence because Harrison Butker is having himself a career year in the opposite way of what you want. There's a lot of talk and speculation as to what's going on with him. Uh, I know he had that ankle injury against Arizona earlier in the year, which speaking of which, uh, I am still furious and they should be retroactively paying his contract for that. I mean, there's no reason why planting on a kickoff should mess a dude's ankle up besides that field. They should be fined. Uh, So there's talk that he's still recovering from that ankle injury. I think Harrison's admitted he's still kind of getting his groove back from the ankle injury. But to add fuel to the fire this past week, former Chiefs punter and holder Dustin Colquitt went to 810 Sports Radio in Kansas City saying that the issue is Tommy Townsend, the current punter, and his holding techniques. Now, I admittedly caught this live against the Texans in that one of the kicks that Butker missed was the result of the laces being 90 degrees to the left facing the stands, which that never flies. The 50-yard field goal, I didn't see it as much, uh, but the talk that Colquitt said was that the point in which he held the ball was up to potentially three inches away from where it's normally supposed to be. And I mean, all these things are important, guys. I mean, I I know there's a lot of golfers listening to this podcast. Like, you know how much one, you know, micro-fraction of an inch will throw off your drive, be it the ball being out of place, being hitting it with the wrong part of the club. And that's essentially what kicking is, exact same thing. So if something's out of place, it's not going to work properly. It's going to shank, it's going to drift, it's going to pull, all those things. So honestly, what do I think the issue is with Harrison Butker? I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle there. I think Tommy Townsend, going back to his rookie season, has had holding issues. And I think Butker's also injured. Uh, What that doesn't take away is the fact now that we don't have Martin Gramatica Part 2, the automatic clutch machine Harrison Butker, which is worrisome for me. Butker has always had a thing making PATs. I think that's like right in his dead zone of range, but he's been automatic from 50 plus. I mean, it's like steel leg, ice water in his veins. We don't have that right now. We needed that last year. 13 seconds against the Bills does not happen if Harrison Bucker does not drill a 47-yarder as time expires in the cold January of Arrowhead. We almost didn't have it against Houston. Last two games, Cincinnati, Houston, had a chance to tie it up against Cincy, 50-yarder, missed it. Had a chance to win the game against Houston, missed it. There's no one left on practice squads. We're not just going to pull some jagging right now and say, all right, we're fighting for the number one seed, might get the number one seed, playoff time, we need you to be automatic. So the question is, what did the Kansas City Chiefs do? Do they start going for it more on 4th down? I think it's very likely. I think it's possible. It might be one of those instances where, you know, 4th to 1 to 5, if that makes any sense, 4th and 1 to 4th and 5, I can see them going for it. 4th and 10, 4th and long, longer than that. Then it might be time to, you know, trot out care and be like, all right, let's see if we can get the three points out of this. Look for it around midfield, too. You know, is it going to be a 50-plus yard field goal? Okay, maybe we bring the offense out and give them a chance to get that first down or at least eat up a chunk of that fourth down yardage. Essentially as good as a punt. But all this to say, I don't have a whole bunch of confidence going into the Seattle game. I think it's going to be a trap game. But spirits will be high at Arrowhead. I hope the team has their head square on their shoulders. I see this being, let's call it 27- to 25 chiefs 25 is kind of hard to get to but 27 25 chiefs don't prove me wrong here all right last but not least we want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast we want to wish everybody a merry christmas armando i'm sorry i didn't do a beer review this go around but you know it's almost noon so i don't want to drink right now but i have a whole bunch of good christmas beers to reveal the podcast if we want to get back to doing that it's up to you my friend Otherwise, thank you to all our Patreon subscribers uh, for giving us a happy new year and new opportunities going forward. Don't forget to check out Speedy and Angry. It's our 10-part in-depth deep dive in the Fast and Furious series now streaming on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash fcsm. Keep an eye on us on Instagram. We are at FountainCitySM if you like dank memes, dank in the bad way memes, and everything in-betweens. Until then... Happy holidays, Merry Christmas to y'all, and thank you for listening to Fountain City Sports Media like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to get access to premium content including bonus episodes, exclusive beer reviews and Speedy and Angry, our latest 10-part miniseries into the Fast and Furious franchise. Check us out on social media at Fountain City SM, for info on the podcast, memes and of course, the goings on in the beer industry special thanks to bands carswell and hope and like a tiger for performing our intro and outro themes and as always i'm reese and alongside my good friend armando we thank you for tuning in to fountain city sports media